All right, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We'll be looking at the teaching of Jesus in verses 1 through 8. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to that. If you need a Bible, there are some at Guest Connections for you to pick up. We'll read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll talk through it. Jesus is teaching, Luke 18, 1 through 8, in the CSB translation. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When our kids were growing up, we have two kids who are uh, no longer kids at this point. Uh, Maddie is 22 and married and Eli is 20. But when they were growing up, starting in the preschool years, honestly, they were relentless in asking us for a dog. Relentless, persistent, determined. Sun Chaser kids, raise your hand if you have a dog at home. All right. Now put your hands down for Sun Chaser kids who don't have a dog but want a dog at home. Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. These are the parents I know who to pray for uh, in the coming years. So kids, you will relate to this story. So as parents, we didn't want a dog. We didn't want a dog. We didn't want the responsibility, the work. And so as parents, it was a pretty hard and fast no to them. In fact, when Maddie was in kindergarten, there was a Mother's Day tea, I believe it was, and something very sweet, invite your mom to, make them a beautiful card. Uh, here are some questions uh, to answer about your mom's questions such as, uh, what, what do you love about your mom? And, and the children would, would read their answers in front of the class. And one of the questions was, what does your mommy always say to you? And so the children would read their answers and, oh, my mommy tells me I'm beautiful or my mommy tells me uh, uh, that, that she loves me. And it gets to Maddie and Heather and, and Maddie answers the question of, what does your mommy always say to you? And, and the answer was, we are never getting a dog. Just what a sweet, tender moment. <laughs> now, in Heather's defense, as well as mine, I could list about 50 other things that we had said to her far more than that, but for some reason, that is what hit the microphone that day. Relentless. And so in the coming years, after that, or through preschool, on into grade school, we'd say things like, hey, your, your, your grandparents have, have dogs to play with. Isn't that great to be able to go out to your grandparents' house and play with their dogs? And, and one time, uh, we bought a robotic stuffed animal dog, uh, thinking that would somehow uh, bless them and serve as a substitute. What a, what a silly idea. Let me <laughs> catch myself, family service. What a silly idea. Um, over the years, that, that sweet mommy of our kids, the one who was exposed on that fateful day in kindergarten, she starts to break. Her armor starts to have some cracks in it. The queen is getting soft. And how do I know that? Well, because while she is still telling no to our children when they ask, because that's what this is parenting 101, 
mom and dad are on the same page, no matter if mom and dad are on a different page, behind the scenes, unified front, front lines, same page. There's your parenting tip for the day. But while she's telling our kids no when they ask, she quietly, in private, begins to sell me on this idea. (laughs) And then at some point, I am last man standing, holding the fort boldly. Now again, my children don't know that I'm last man standing, but behind the scenes, I am holding the flag, holding the fort. By the time our kids were 11 and 9, I caved, Heather and I were all in, surprising our dogs, our, our children with a little dog at Christmas. I've never seen our kids so excited. It was the best Christmas gift we've ever given them, truly. And then on top of that, a few years ago, we got another one uh, just to add to it. And then this dog is going with Eli uh, when he moves out. You want to show that there's... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See? For those of you parents who are still holding fort, your time is limited. Um, So our kids were relentless in asking us for a puppy, and eventually it came to pass. And even if it never did, they would have kept asking. I love the childlike persistence of kids. I love the childlike boldness of kids. I understand as as parents, we're on the other side of this, but I understand that the persistence wears you out. But I hope it also teaches you something about this parable that we're going to look at. I hope it teaches you something about the Word of God here. The childlike boldness of kids, we saw it in how they prayed as they grew up in grade school years, taking God at His Word that He is more than able, and they prayed accordingly, praying big prayers, such as the salvation of family members who had, uh, over many, many years, rejected the Lord, and they're praying, God God save them, and and that speaks to the mom and dad as you're praying with them to go, okay, yeah, I'm going to believe that as well. For us adults, there's something we can learn from kids in their childlike faith. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's trusting, it's believing, and, and faith like a child is not naive, it's not silly, it's not childishness, it's, it's what we are to pursue according to Jesus. And as it relates to the practice of prayer, what Jesus is teaching us on here in the parable of Luke 18, children often get this, and their prayer life as believers should be marked by persistent, relentless, faith-filled nature. Pastor and author John Piper said it this way as it relates to a a believer's uh, prayer life. Faith is the furnace of our lives. Its fuel is the grace of God and the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the burner is prayer. Faith is the furnace of our lives. Its fuel is the grace of God and the divinely appointed shovel for feeding that burner of faith is prayer. So today we're talking about being persistent in prayer, persistent as you feed your faith in God through prayer. It is in this parable, Jesus is calling us to continue on in prayer. And so I want to ask on the front end of this message, and then we'll ask on the end as well, where are you being called to persist in prayer, to not give up in prayer? What prayers have you been praying for days, weeks, months, years that the Lord is calling you to continue on in. Salvation of a spouse, the return of a prodigal child, the salvation of a child, the, the provision of your household, the restoration of your marriage, the restoration of joy of your salvation, the reconciliation of a friendship, the freedom from addiction, 
the Lord's comfort and peace in the midst of grief and loss. Knowing many of your stories, I know many of you are walking through this posture of persistent prayer right now. It's deeply encouraging to watch. I also know it's hard. It's hard to remain constant in prayer. It's difficult sometimes when we're not seeing visible answers to remain in a posture of expectant and dependent prayer. And maybe you're discouraged to give up. Or maybe you're encouraged and you're pressing on. Either way, the Lord here, Lord Jesus, is gracious to encourage us to pray and not give up. Because when we persist in prayer, we are revealing our faith in God, that our faith is not determined by what we see, but what we hope in. And our hope is anchored to a forever faithful and encouraging and forever good Lord. And Jesus will remind us here in this passage, remember who I am, remember who you are in me, and as a result, you can continue on in prayer. Remember who I am, remember who you are in me, and as a result, you can continue on in prayer. There are two characters in this parable. There are a lot of parables in the book of Luke. Parables are uh, earthly stories intended to teach a heavenly truth. And so there are two characters. First of all, there is a self-centered, ungodly judge and a persistent widow. The self-centered, ungodly judge is intended to teach us about the Lord, but in a contrasting manner. And the persistent widow is intended to teach us about us, but in a comparison sort of manner. Verse 1 again in chapter 18. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. So Jesus makes it really clear. Here's the point of this parable. I don't want my people to give up praying when answers don't seem to come. I want them to pursue this attitude of prayerfulness through all of life. Prayerfulness that is rooted in dependence, in total dependence upon the Lord. Now we told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. So we are first introduced to the judge. And a judge, and this judge is ungodly, doesn't fear God, doesn't revere the Lord, doesn't care about or respect him, and doesn't care about people either. He's not a man known for compassion, love, mercy, let alone not one who seeks to respect others. He doesn't care that this woman is a widow and in financial trouble. Her situation doesn't matter to him because at the end of the day, he's focused on himself. And eventually, after repeated calls from the widow, the judge relents. She's wearing him out with her persistence. The idea in the, in the original language is that of a black eye, that she is figuratively giving him a black eye by all her asking. And he relents, not because he suddenly cares for her, but, be, but because he cares for himself. He just doesn't want to hear it anymore. Now, like I said, the judge teaches us about the Lord but not in a comparison way as if they are similar, but in a contrasting way. Because Jesus is saying this earthly arrogant judge is nothing like the Lord. It's the opposite, in fact. The judge has a reputation, but loved ones, so does our Lord. He has a reputation. In Exodus 34, the Lord spoke of his own 
reputation, his own character when he passed in front of Moses. Exodus 34, 5 through, five through 7 says this, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And throughout the Old Testament, that is a refrain that we see. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is the reputation of our God, loved ones, the exact opposite of the judge in the parable. So as it relates to being persistent in in prayer, you and I need to be reminded that the Lord is not indifferent to you or your needs. He is not an indifferent God. Psalm 103 tells us that the Father cares for His children. 1 Peter 5 tells us that, that we can cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Our God is not reluctant in answering. Jesus tells us in Luke 12 that it is His good pleasure to give His children the kingdom. Romans 8 tells us that for those who, who trust in Him, that He is for them, not against them. It tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. Romans 8 also tells us that through Christ alone, we are adopted into the Father's family. We've been brought near. All of that describes a heavenly judge that is radically different than this earthly judge. The ungodly judge's actions flowed from his self-centered character. He gave in to the widow's request for his own benefit. Our Lord's actions flow from his character as well. The Lord never operates Apart from or different from his character, he's unchanging the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is a good, good thing. Because a moody God, if God is moody, that is terrifying. It's terrifying. If he can change, if he can not be the same yesterday as he is tomorrow, that's terrifying. Our God is steadfast. He is faithful, unchanging, so Loved ones, when there is a delay in an answer to prayer, when a prayer doesn't seem to be answered in a way that we think is best or in a timeline that we deem as best, you must remember, according to Scripture, because we want to rely upon truth and not our feelings, according to the Word of God, our God is still able, He's still for His people, He still cares for His people, He's still treating them not as their sins deserve, but as as a father with compassion and mercy, he is still present in your life. He has not forsaken you. And when he does answer, when we see his goodness on display through your prayer life, it is not because he has grown weary of you or because you're, you're going to give him a black eye. It's because he cares for you, because he loves you. The judge in the parable teaches us about the Lord in a contrasting manner. The widow in the parable teaches us about us in a comparison way. So that our posture and our practice in prayer should be similar to that of the widow. And the widow in this parable is in need. She's helpless without the judge's help. Her request to the judge is, give me justice against my adversary. She can't secure her own justice. She she needs an advocate. 
she's oppressed in some manner and she needs someone who will care for her and show her strength and compassion. Brother and sister in the Lord, do you see yourself as needy? When When you got up this morning, did you see yourself as needy? Do you see yourself as helpless apart from His grace? Apart from His Spirit's resurrection power in your life? Do you see yourself as as helpless apart from that Spirit's power? If you don't see yourself as needy, if you don't see yourself as, as helpless, you won't pray. You won't call out for help if you don't think you actually need help. If you don't think you actually need help on a daily, moment by moment, when you walk into the workplace, when you walk into home, You won't call out for help if you don't think you actually need supernatural help to live daily life. See, we are born naturally self-reliant, born with this independent spirit, not a dependent one. But when we came to faith in Christ, one of the first biblical truths that we came to realize was that we were in need. We were in need. We were in need of a Savior. We were in need of grace and forgiveness and our sin had separated us from our Creator and we were accountable. And we, If we tried to work our way to heaven, we would fail. We needed healing from this internal sin disease and we could not be our own Savior. And so in humility and surrender, we called out to Him who is able and He saved. He restored. He redeemed. And he was faithful to do so. In Him, we are new creations in Christ. In Him, we have been brought back from the death of sin, brought back into life, from darkness to light. Only the adversary of of sin and Satan could be defeated and overcome by our Savior. When we pray, we are confessing those realities. We are confessing our need, that we are in need of His grace and need of His power, not just in salvation, not just in eternal life, but in daily life. So we learn from the widow's posture of humility and dependence, and we also learn from her persistence. As Jesus said in the beginning, we are to pray always and not give up. There is delay in the judge's answer, and yet she just continues on. I can point to seasons in my life where the delay seemed long. In my view, In my waiting, I learned to persist. I can also point to moments along those seasons where I didn't persist, where I began to give up, and I began to say, okay, fine, Lord, uh, I guess I'll take this back in my control, as if that somehow is better. But I began to say, okay, fine, I'll 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 try to transform that, that human heart over there in my own strength, as if that's possible. Keep this in mind, we learn persistence in prayer, not just in the delay, in the long haul, but also in the short. When we pray and we see the Lord's answer, doesn't that build your faith? Whether you prayed and later on that day you saw an answer, or later on 20, 30, 40 years later you saw an answer to prayer, Either one of those, doesn't that build your faith? It's like the Apostle Paul when he teaches us about contentment in Philippians 4. And he says you can learn contentment not just when you don't have much, but also when you have plenty. Both seasons are uh, contentment can be learned. 
Well, in the same way, persistence in prayer is not just when we pray for decades and see an answer to prayer or don't see an answer. It's also in that short term, moment by moment, we prayed, God answered. I believe the Lord is building our faith and perseverance in both seasons. And then in the final few verses, Jesus walks us through this application of the parable because again, he wants us, he's already said on the front end, he wants us to pray always and not give up. Verse 6, then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Lord wants us to be reminded of his character. The judge is unjust. Our God is just. The judge doesn't care about justice or wrongs being made right, but our God does. God will grant justice to his elect according to verse 7. His elect, meaning his people. Those who trust in him, those who have confessed him as Lord and Savior in their life. Those who are dependent upon him in all things, including their eternal salvation. Those who who he foreknew that would be saved. I've always loved this passage from 1 Peter that speaks of believers. Chapter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God will grant justice to his people who are praying and seeking him in total dependence. See, when it feels like prayers are being unanswered, when it feels like to us that he is absent or hard of hearing, when it feels like he is delaying, we sometimes are prone to think that our identity in him has changed, that he has forgotten us, that he has forsaken us, that he has grown weary of us, or that he is too weak to do anything. And so Jesus called to pray always and not give up. He's reminding us here of, of, his unchanging, of our unchanging identity in Him as believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are His elect, His chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His possession. He's called you out of darkness into His light. You are God's people now. And our God does not forget, He does not forsake, He does not grow weary of His children, and He most certainly is still more than able. Friends, Jesus doesn't want us to get discouraged in the delay. And we say, well, if He doesn't want us to get discouraged, He should just answer like we want Him to answer. But His ways and wisdom are higher than ours. He's sovereign, and we are not, even if we try to be. He's infinite. And we are very finite and very limited. And so what we see as best from our finite, limited vantage point isn't necessarily always going to be what's good for those who call upon Him, for those who trust in Him, including ourselves, from His sovereign vantage point. Consider some things that you prayed for in life that you are grateful for in hindsight that didn't come to pass. So we talk about, oh, God didn't answer this, God didn't answer this, but consider all the answers to prayer that he did not answer in the way that we thought was fit, and in hindsight we go, 
Thank you, God, that you didn't answer that. I can think of parental prayers that we've had of our children, including even just like last year, praying for a a job opportunity for, for Eli and like, on paper, this seems like the right one, Lord. What, what is, I just don't understand. I'm confused. In hindsight, praise God that didn't work out. Praise God that he saw fit to lead in another way. If we're honest, there are also delayed or unanswered prayers that even in hindsight, we still don't understand. I have those and so do you. And yet, even in those situations, as hard as they are, we are reminded through this parable that for those who are in Christ, we are still His, His people, His elect, called out and cared for by Him. And from the Old Testament to today, our Lord is still the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And then at the end of this parable, Jesus says, nevertheless, when when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He's pointing our eyes to his glorious second coming. We see his faithfulness in the first advent. We will see his faithfulness on display in the second advent. We see his faithfulness in between the two. The second coming where justice will be done, wrongs will be made right, Our spiritual adversary will be utterly defeated and the effects of sin will be gone forever. And when the Son of Man comes, Jesus asks a question here, but in doing so, he's exhorting his people. When the Son of Man comes, when I return, will will I find faith here on this earth? Will I find my people being faithful to me? Similar to when, when parents leave a house and your kids are old enough to be left alone. Hey, when I return, when we get back, I trust that you will have listened. And as a parent, how do you know that they actually listened? When they did what you asked them to do. When they remained faithful to whatever instruction you gave them. And so Jesus is calling his people to faithfulness. And we can be faithful for our God is faithful for he will return. And so we can live with hope and expectation and watchfulness because he's at work now. And he's at work in the future, so we can pray with that truth in mind. You can actually look at this parable in reverse. You can see this exhortation in verse 8 of be faithful in the waiting. Be faithful as you prepare and look to the second coming. Well, how do we do that, Lord? Well, we pray always and not give up. We pray always and we don't give up. If the worship team could come back up. So again, as we, as we think about singing and worship again, I ask you and I, where are you, you and I being called to persist in prayer? To not give up. What prayers have you been praying for days, weeks, months, years that the Lord is calling you to continue on in? Parents, you should talk about this with your kids on the drive home or lunch or supper tonight or before bed. Be reminded of what, what's your household of faith being called to persist on in prayer. May we listen and receive the words of Jesus. His words of pray always, do not give up, for He is able and He is good and He is maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, including yours. Lord, I pray that You would enable us by Your Spirit's power to continue on in prayer, that we would have this 
this posture of praying always, continuously throughout all of life and not giving up. That we would pray being anchored to who we are in you, your elect, your chosen people, your children. I thank you that you're a faithful father, maintaining love to a thousand generations, not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you that you are for us and you're using all things to work out your glory, to work out our own sanctification in the process. We trust you. And even when we don't see or we are beginning to doubt, Lord, we verbally say with our mouths, we trust you. We depend upon you. And I thank you that you are able. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.